The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. It is 307 on the Central Coast as we say good afternoon and welcome back to another edition of Hometown Radio. Finally kind of sort of up and running now. I'm still not completely sure. I know it's a Wednesday, January 9th, 2018. I'm Dave Congleton. Good to be with you. We are here all the way till 7 o'clock. This is what we have planned on the broadcast today. Straight ahead at 4.05, Bruce Howard and J.G. King will be here. Two of the uh, six partners in this new venture to flip the Fremont Theater from a movie house to a concert venue. They'll uh, outline the vision and talk about how it's going so far. Jack Hardy will be with us at 5.05. All sorts of stories in the news to talk about with Jack. We're going to give Jack all the time he needs. After that, we've got one last pair of tickets to give away to see John Batiste at the Performing Arts Center Saturday night. You want these tickets. And then I want to do some leftovers in honor of Bill Benica. Uh, there's some uh, conversations we've been having the last couple of days I want to follow up on. It is a Dave Congleton show, always your hometown radio talk show. As I mentioned on Monday, uh, this week is the 27th anniversary week of this broadcast. So I've uh, been making a special effort to reach out to people who have been a part of the show over the years and to bring them in and just kind of catch up and see what's going on. Now look who's here to start us off. It's the one and the only Mr. King Harris. Hello, Dave. Hey, buddy. How are you? It's nice to see you. You're looking well, as usual. Look out, and you got the memo on the... On the jacket. On the jackets. We're both yeah. wearing these little... Puff mine, jackets. Puff jackets. Yeah. Mine's made in China. My my brother, the attorney up in Seattle, he's fanatic. He owns like nine of these things. Right. Different colors. Yeah. Um, sleeves, sleeveless. My niece used to work at the American Embassy in... Uh, China. Beijing. Uh-huh. And he went over to visit. And he found these, and he just, so he sent me one. Well, that's nice. There we go. That's my story. What's your story? Consideration. There you go. I get these from my wife. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah wears those. I've seen them. Of course. Sarah. Okay. Yeah. How are you, King? I am fine, thank You're you. You're looking good. Well, thank you. That's what I'm going to say? There's not much more to right, it than that. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's get all right, it. All right. Uh, for many years, you were in uh, television news. For many years, you were in radio news. You also yes. did radio sports, as I recall. I also did print. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to I focus on broadcasting today. All right. Well, we can focus on broadcasting. Okay. What's the difference between doing radio journalism and TV journalism? Uh, fear. Well, I mean, you can't in TV... Uh, you have far less control 
over what you can do than you do in radius. And you could just be sitting here without any clothes on and no one would know the difference. Yes, but on TV, we both know of anchors who have worn the coat and tie and worn shorts. Oh, boxer shorts. No, red just uh, shorts because they're going to go play golf or something after the newscast. Oh, well, I wore boxer shorts. Okay. I didn't. I didn't wear the go. I don't golf, All right. so it was easier for me. No, it, it's a it's a whole different trip, and you have to uh, adjust, make some adjustments as to how you how you say things and how you look when you say them because there's that other element now it's the video one it's like if you listen to two people on the radio who are candidates say um for some position and uh you don't get to see them it's there's a little bit of difference there and um i kind of got used to you know the the tv part because I like telling stories with when I first started film yeah. and um, uh, let the pictures kind of tell a story and you just kind of weave it. I'm reminded of the famous research from the Kennedy-Nixon debate in 1960. Right. People who watched Kennedy on T- who people who watched TV thought Kennedy won. Sure. People who listened on the radio thought Nixon, thought Nixon won. won. Well... It's, you know, the the visual part of it is can be very um, compelling. You know, I remember uh, in the Nixon-Kennedy debates, um, the Kennedy team said, geez, that guy's sweating an awful lot. Can we turn up the air con- or turn off the air conditioner so he sweats a little more? So there's this constant fight back then as to who had control over the air conditioner when they were debating each other. Did you ever hear that before? Uh, No, I did not. But I find that fascinating and not the least bit surprising. Yeah. And as I recall my King King Harris historiology, you were doing radio in Monterey. Yes. And then you jumped to TV. Did you jump to TV in Monterey? Yes. Well, I was doing uh, 18... uh, 18. For 18 months, I was doing uh, an all-night DJ kind of... AOR, which means music by groups like the Bee Gees and America and all that kind of stuff. And that was was a long time, but the, the radio station was in the same building as the TV station. It wasn't run by the same people, right. um, but nonetheless, that gave me access to the TV side of things. Did you want to do TV? Was that a goal no, of yours? not really. I just... Uh, it was, did you see Anchorman with Will Ferrell? Yes. Okay. Fir- I saw the first one. Okay. The first one is is just dead on. Really? You know, mid to late 70s, and with the, the way anchors portrayed themselves and the men being really macho and announcer-ish. Yeah. You know, Good evening. That kind of crap. Yeah. And uh, the women wore really, there was one, and I forget her name now. I asked her out, and she told me no. Um, but she would just wear a you know a beret on her head and then clothing that would kind of cover some of her chest and that's all you saw when she was on the air. And I said I got to get into this business. It's more than meets the eye. So Ron Burgundy, that was that was pretty accurate. Oh, it was very accurate. Were there like the competing news teams? And- oh, sure, that and uh, all this BS basically because. 
this is small market television. This isn't big market television. And uh, there's, there's a real difference. Oh, they act kind of the same. Well, I'm in the big market, and I oh, go away. A lot of ego in TV news. Oh, jeez. And a lot of a lot of people think they have all the answers and you know all that kind of stuff. But that's all right. I mean, you, you get you get used to it. But so here I was doing radio for eighteen months, and then I took over a slot by a guy who was my boss in radio who left for a week for vacation. Now this is the same guy who, when Elvis died. I said, I'm going to play Elvis tonight from midnight to six. That was my shift. And he says, why? And I says, what do you mean why? He's dead. He's only 44 or 42 or whatever. And it's incredible. What, what, what do you think people are going to want to hear tonight? And he says, he was just a hack singer. If you play any of his stuff, I'm going to fire you. So guess what I did? Knowing you, you played the whole show with I Elvis. I played the whole show with Elvis. You had to. <laughs> the, the lines were ringing all night long. And uh, it was, everybody was kind of, this, you know, lighting candles and yeah, sure. crying and doing the whole thing. He never did fire me. But in any case, when he left for that week for vacation, I found out there was a sports opening in the TV station right next door, or actually in the same building. And I said, geez, I can do sports. And I was wearing those photo gray glasses at the time. Yeah. So if you put yourself down in a studio and they turned on the Klieg lights and all that kind of stuff, I began to look something like Jose Feliciano or <laughs> Ray Charles, you know. And, the, and so I took my demo tape upstairs and I knew they'd hire me because they're cheap. And <clears throat> so I did. And they says, okay. We'll hire you, but you got to get rid of those glasses. I'm trying to picture you doing sports. It was fun for a while, but then I didn't take it seriously. I mean, you've got the name, King Harris Sports. Yeah. But I, I just couldn't get into it the way a lot of sports guys do. Although, I had a great time doing uh, the Crosby Pro-Am. It was known at the time as a Crosby Pro-Am. And that was really fun because I, I figured out how to beat all the TV stations from San Francisco at their own game. What'd you do? You know, well, uh, one thing I did I was walking, be walking along during the game with Tom Watson, and I had a video camera, which were brand new at the time, but I had it down against my side, but I had the mic on. I had enough shots of Tom. Yeah. But I had the mic on, and so I hear I had Tom Watson all through the, you know, through the performance. And uh, I, I got to him first because we got to know each other and when he won. And so those were the kind of things I remember. Jack Lemon, um, since it was a celebrity golf course. Celebrity Pro-Am, yeah. Yeah, he was there at 7 on Wednesdays. <clears throat> all the um, actors would get there. And for photo ops, and he was uh, putting, and he had this cigar, and I just went up to him with the cameras rolling, and I said, "How the hell can you smoke that so early in the morning?" And it was perfect because then he just came out with Jack Lemon and said, "Cause I like it. What's wrong with that? I mean, these are pretty good. Would you want one?" Yeah. You know? And um, 
But that interview got me a job with uh, KUIT down in Santa Barbara. We're talking with King Harris, just reminiscing. Glad he's here. Glad you're here as well. I'm Dave Congleton. This is AM 920, FM 96.5 News Talk, KVEC. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars up above in your eyes. Tomorrow, we've got uh, Steve Larian from Cal Poly Arts previewing some upcoming shows. He might give away some free tickets. We'll see what kind of mood he's in. Also, uh, the mayor of San Luis Obispo, the Honorable Heidi Harmon, will join us. Steve Weiss checks in on Friday. On uh, Monday, we have um, the people from uh, the Women's March. They're getting ready to march again. We'll get a preview on Monday. Still trying to land that interview with Herb Alpert. Ever interview Herb Alpert, King Harris? Well, actually, I in a kind of weird way, I work for him. I want to hear the story. Yeah. Um, there was a fellow that came through Portland. His name is Bill Schwartz. And this is after I got out of the war. And I was working in radio up in Vancouver, Washington. He came through and he says, you start in a band. And I went, oh, boy, can I drum for your band? And he says, yeah. So eventually... He was trying to sell songs to Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss, A&M Records. A&M, yeah. Or Ahmed Erdogan at Atlantic. Those are the two people vying for Bill's songs. Now, his band didn't get anything out of this, so we had to go find other work or whatever. But that's how we got. I got to know Herb. Um, and Jerry is through Bill. And um, we had... Uh, Recording session, many of them with them, and so that was fun. He was he was very good. Well, you can't let very that nice. go. Come on, tell me more. Well, what do you want? Oh, you were you were in a recording session with Herb Alpert, right? I want to hear more. Right. Well, uh, he was a producer, yeah. and Jerry Moss was a producer, and they was just trying to get an update on where Bill was with his songs, and they they liked the band, right. but uh, usually bands. Um, if if somebody's going to really take off, they'll hire studio musicians, um, and I knew that going down there. But this is a perfect time. <clears throat> this is when, let's see, the early seventies. So what was happening early seventies in Hollywood and the on the uh, dance scene and the rock and roll scene? Everybody's taking drugs. There's no question about that. And uh, Motown moved from Detroit to uh, Hollywood about that time, 72 or so. And <clears throat> there was something else. Oh, yeah. Uh, John Lennon and, and uh, Phil Spector, the producer, would get in fights all the time over what Phil was trying to produce John to record. So it was a great time to be in Hollywood. And Herb was very nice, and <clears throat> I teased him about his, his uh, Tijuana Brass and all that, because he, he didn't think it was a joke, but he, he was a good trumpet player. Yeah. You know, he was he was very talented. But I never thought that I'd meet somebody, <clears throat> when I was 16, I'd meet someone like Herb Alpert. Yeah. He says, you're going to meet Herb Alpert. Not only that, you're going to meet Jerry Moss. Not only that, you're going to meet Jan and Dean. And it can, yeah, but if you stay in Hollywood long enough, and you're in the business, you run, you meet all these people. I ran up to Karen Carpenter once at 12 midnight in Charlie Chaplin's studios, and I said, I waved my hand, and she rolled the window of her Mercedes up. 
and her brother John was sitting next to her. Richard, Richard was sitting next to her. And he had a broken arm or something. I said, no, 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 I'm not here to attack you or whatever. And I pulled out a piece of paper and a pen. And I said, all I wanted was your autograph. I think you're terrific. And she was. And I got the... You got the autograph? Yeah. Well, and she recorded on the NM. Right. So talk about Jan and Dean. Well, Dean um, wasn't the one that was injured. Jan was injured, Dead Man's Curve. In, in, in the accident, right. In right, 1966. Right, right. Really screwed him up. I mean, tore him up. Uh, mentally, physically, everything else. And people were surprised that he was still living. But anyway, um, there was one summer, probably 73 or 74, I went across the street where I lived in Laurel Canyon. Somebody was having a, a record sale. So here I was going through records, and right next to me was Jan Barry, who I really liked as yeah. a producer and a songwriter, and I thought Jan and Dean were really good. Baby Talk was her first record, and that was kind of eh, but the rest of them were kind of cool. But anyway, so here's Jan um, Barry right next to me, and I said, hi, Jan, how you doing? And so we start talking, and eventually, long story short, we go out to the middle of the street. Now, it was Rid Path or something. Sun shining in the afternoon, and he soliloquies Dead Man's Curve right in front of me. Does the, does the lyrics? The whole, the whole song. And what lyrics. prompted him to do that? You got me. But here I was standing looking at him and going, wow. You know, here's a guy that was literally hurt by Dead Man's Curve. Uh, like Mel Blanc was, and uh, songs famous about it, and he's not quite right, and here he is singing me his song, Dead Man's Kirk. And that was just Jan Barry. You know? That had to be a pretty existential experience. That's a good word for it. <laughs> Eclectic, existential, <laughs> far out, you know. Honey, I'm home. What'd you do today, dear? You'll never met who I... you never... You know, it's an extended version back. of Brush with Greatness, courtesy of King Harris. I love these stories he's telling. We'll tell more as we continue. I'm Dave Congleton. We've got news, traffic, weather, more of Hometown Radio still to come. Good to be with you this afternoon. Take a second here and invite you to sign up, please, at the KVC Daily Update. We'll get it in your email inbox free every uh, morning. By the morning. Thanks to the good folks at Ranch Wi-Fi and the fine folks at Solarponics. Sign up now at 920kvec.com. We will send you an email with uh, Scott Taylor news headlines, always local news. pg John Lindsay with his extensive weather forecast. And you'll get our complete schedule for Hometown Radio. You'll know in advance who's going to be on the show, so you won't miss a single minute with King Harris. So go to 920kvc.com and sign up for the KVC Daily Update. There's King Harris. He's right here. Hi, David. I love watching you do your show. 
What does that mean? You know, it just means you seem so relaxed a lot of the time. Well, it's the CBD pills uh, I take. It, the pills you take? <laughs> no. Yeah. CBD. It's the, the new thing. The, the cannabis stuff. I take two a day. Oh, well, good for you. Keeps away my headaches. Helps me sleep at night. Does it keep your blood pressure low? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're just reminiscing here with King Harris, a man both off the microphone, out of the camera range. You still have encountered famous people. You 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 knew the the Folger woman, the woman who was killed in the Tate murder. Yes, you G- knew her, Gibby. Gibby and I uh, uh, grew up in Woodside. They had, the Folgers had this mansion, and uh, she had a brother named Peter, who was a year older than I was. Gibby was probably two or three years, and I was in Vietnam getting the Chronicle uh, three or four days late. My mom sent it to me or something for some reason. Didn't make any difference because the Chronicle was always late anyway. Um, But I was taking a break and I, you know, opened up the page and saw this, this, these four or five pictures of these victims of this horrible uh, attack. And I looked a little closer at one of them and I said, you know, Abigail Folger. We always called her Gibby, and she just happened to be at the Tate house that night. Now, she wasn't going to be there. She and her boyfriend, Wojciech Frykowski, were going to leave a week earlier. But Sharon Tate asked Gibby to stay until Roman Polanski, Sharon's husband, returned from Europe. And so that kind of sealed her fate. August is the 50th anniversary. And the Quentin Tarantino movie is coming out in August about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio playing Sharon Tate's neighbor. Oh, that should be interesting. And part of the movie deals with the Tate murder. Sure. But, yeah. Well, it was was just being at the wrong place, wrong time. Gibby, uh, I think, had decided by that point in her life that she was going to be kind of a philanthropists or somebody who helps other people. Um, and that was the direction she was taking. I think she was planning on getting out of Hollywood and, and leaving that scene, as it were. Of all the many people you've encountered over the years, were there those who disappointed you? Um, not really. Some uh, during telethons where we'd have stars or whatever. Um, at KUIT. Right, at KUIT. Uh, so, most were pretty fun. Um, Anne Francis was an absolute delight. Honey West. Honey West. Yeah. And she was uh, also in Bad Day at Black Rock with That's Spencer right. Tracy. But right. you had, for the longest time, it's kind of like Palm Springs in a way, you had the older generation of uh, movie actors and actresses Robert Mitchum, Richard Widmark, Jane Russell, they were all living in Montecito with really no gates or anything else. It was really kind of just understood pleasant, as it were. And now, of course, the whole scene has totally changed. I remember Fanny Flagg came up to me once and she says, gee, I came to move out of Hollywood and I moved right back into it. And she was right. But not too many people um, disappointed me at all. They all had a Dame Judith Anderson. She had a, about 50 cats running around her place. 50 cats. Uh-huh. Um, 
that surprised me. It didn't disappoint me at all. And uh, one of the things I remember when I first got to Santa Barbara, I was at Vons near Montecito. And um, I saw a guy, you know, standing by a shopping cart. I said, gee, I know that guy. And then, of course, his wife came out to join him. And then I realized who he was because of who she was. And it was Julia Child. So I went right over and I says, what are you doing here? I'm going to say, what is Julia Child doing at the Vaughn's and Hot Hot Springs Road? And she is like a great aunt, you know. She's terrific. She says, oh, hi. And my mother used to watch your stuff. You make the best chocolate mousse still in the world. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, she had moved into a place uh, right next to Coral Casino in Montecito called Bonnie Dune. And so that meant she had a place in Santa Barbara, a place outside Boston, a place in, outside Paris or somewhere. And she was just delightful. I says, could I interview you and her husband? And uh, who was a black belt? He was a black belt in karate, of all things. <laughs> but anyway, so I got the interview and aired that, and then we became friends. And she'd invite me and Sarah over and all this. We'd answer the phone. And, and she'd cook. And she'd cook. So not yeah. only did you run into Julia Child at the Vaughn's, and Montecito. Yeah. She actually cooked for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then she even made a mistake when she told me in the interview a couple of weeks earlier, she says, don't apologize for making mistakes. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And just go on to something else. And she looked in her fridge. She had this pegboard in her kitchen mm-hmm. where all her tools were. And then next to that was a little picture of the pegboard uh, peg with all her tools on it so she could find out where to put them back and all that kind of stuff. Wow. She opens up the refrigerator and her, the pie or whatever she was making for dessert just kind of flopped and it fell. And I said, now remember, Julia, don't, don't apologize for something that doesn't work out. Would you call her eccentric? No. She was just, she was somebody who lived life. And she seemed to understand that. The other obvious question is, what did Julia Child cook you for dinner? Fish and corn on the cob. That's it? Uh-huh. That's it? But who needs more? And the thing is, everybody gets... Corn so, on the cob? Every, <laughs> you know, you get so intimidated. <laughs> if, you, if you have Julia over to your house, she doesn't care. She could care less about how gourmand you are or whatever. She would just have a great time. Being around you and talking about, you know, life in the world. And I'm sorry, guys, it's blind, you're really blowing my image with the woman. One, she's shopping at Vaughn's, and two, she's serving you corn on the cob for dinner. Yeah, yeah. She was a real treat. She really was. Hmm. And uh, so, anyway, that's just one of the, the, I guess, advantages of working in a market like Santa Barbara, where a lot of people will come there, you know. And uh, a lot of them will stay. You know, but you I, get... I saw Lou Ferrigno at Coco's one night. He's a regular at Coco's. Here? Yeah, the Five Cities. Really? You want to see Lou Ferrigno <laughs> hang out at the Five Cities, Coco's. That's my brush with greatness. And he's pretty um, noticeable, isn't he? Uh, I'll I tell you a story. Yeah, he'll probably beat me up if he ever sees me. 
uh, went there one night and they had the um, the Mediterranean dish, and it has I don't know pita bread and hummus and stuff, and I ordered that and they and they said sorry you can't have it. Well, why not? Well, Lou Ferrigno ate all the hummus. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> and what are you going to do about it? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I, but I've never heard that in a restaurant before. I like the Greek plate. No, I'm sorry. Lou Ferrigno ate all the hummus. Oh, hummus. <laughs> That's terrific. I saw other than Julia Child, who impressed you, since nobody disappointed you, who impressed you other than Julia oh, Child? Almost, almost everybody. Um, <clears throat> How about Robert Mitchum? Robert Mitchum is kind of gruff, but um, we got a free, not a free trip, but a trip to the, a courtesy of the Mitchums in some kind of um, auction that they have in the Coral Casino a lot. And um, so we met his uh, daughter and son-in-law. Robert, he was, he was a class act, and we, we'd always catch uh, Richard Woodmark at the drugstore in Montecito on Sunday mornings, you know, and he just kind of wanted to be left alone. So there, there, You seem like an, uh, an unhappy, gruff kind of guy, Richard Woodmark. Very talented, you know. Yeah. Um, but I suppose one of the people that um, I really uh, div- wanted to see was uh, Dalai Lama, so I got to have an audience with him twice on different occasions. I don't know how that happened. It happened through Santa Barbara City College. So he was coming through Santa Barbara? Right. All right. And, and, you, and you wanted to meet the Dalai Lama? Right. Okay. You know, um, I needed a little bit of spirit at the time. Did he Did he serve you corn on the cob, too? <laughs> no, but it was just as good. A different feast right. as well. And I asked him, I got to ask him a question because, you know, you pretty much shut up when you're sitting in with Dalai Lama. Yeah. And uh, uh, I said, how is it that, you know, have you come to deal with the fact that you hadn't, you know, you became the Dalai Lama and that was it, you know? And he says, I had no choice. I says, yeah, really, when you're called to be the Dalai Lama. Yeah. But so, you know, being able to see him, I didn't film him. You know, or, or shoot, it wasn't like an interview. It was, it was a, a get together. But it right. was. But then through that, I got to meet his biographer, whose name was Kuno. Probably something else as well. But yeah. uh, Kuno and I used to go hiking in the <clears throat> San Inez Mountains above Santa Barbara all the time. And he he'd turn around occasionally and look at me and says, "You must come over to my country." And we take a hike. And I says, oh, yeah, well, you and, you know, <laughs> Nepal right next door, you know, and needing Sherpas and all that kind of stuff. I don't think so. But he was, uh, he was, he taught me a few things. Too. We're chatting with King Harris, just reminiscing a little bit as part of our anniversary week. He's telling great stories of his time in Santa Barbara and Monterey and Los Angeles. We'll come back for a final segment. I'm Dave Congleton. We're live. We're local. This is Hometown Radio for the Central Coast on AM 920, FM 96.5, News Talk, KVEC.
Glad to have you with us on Hometown Radio. Top of the hour, it's ABC Radio News. And then we're going to get an update and hear the story about how the Fremont Theater is uh, being transformed from a movie theater into a concert venue. The main story there, though, is how the Fremont Theater is being restored. Uh, we're in our final segment here with the one, the only, King Harris. Just kind of reminiscing. Hi, Dave. King, how are you? I'm pretty good. I can't say that I miss uh, KVEC in the mornings. Yeah. It's okay now to you you have a life now sleeping in. What time do you get up now? Uh, I still get up early, but not at 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's one thing to get up at 4 in the morning. It's another thing to be cohesive at 4 in the morning. In other words, you have to uh, wake up and be able to communicate with the you know your local brethren i could never i could never do the mornings uh-uh. what do you remember when you think about your time on kvec you mean the things that actually i can talk about over the air yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or the ones that well because I, can... I mean you had two tours of duty right i had the first one and uh in the early well early 2000 and that was fun. I, I really enjoyed KVC. That's where I met you, and I started listening to you. And I said, who is this guy with a weird last name that nobody ever can pronounce? I should have changed my name. Yeah, to King or something. Yeah. But in any case, um, you had a show on from, I think, 9 to noon or something. 9 to noon, those days. Yeah, and then I was doing the morning show. And what was neat about that is that I... You know, get off my butt, go out and do news and phone it back into you. That's what I... So what I remember is when you first came in, you fired so-and-so. I'm not going to mention his name. You fired this guy. Well, he's in Spain now. You remember you fired Chris Blood? I didn't fire him. Yeah, you fired him. No, I didn't. You did fire him. The first thing, you, you came in and he was gone. He was gone that day. You're saying, I'm taking over. I thought that Danny Clarkson fired him. Well, maybe Clarkson did. Yeah. I thought you fired him. No, I didn't. And then you rounded up all those Cal Poly students. Well, that was easy to do because I was still uh, so you had lecturing new, at Cal Poly. You had a news team of like seven or eight young people. Right. And you just let, turned them loose. But it was great because they got to really see what things were like. I remember this one kid uh, came in and I said, okay, I want you to go cover the DeGroot home. Which I don't think is no, up, up and running. Out of anymore. business. Right. Um, and he came back almost in tears because of seeing the, the children and the despair and the hope and everything that goes into running a home like that. And he couldn't believe it. And I said, okay, is this what you'd really call learn by doing? And he says, yeah, get out of that classroom. So in a lot of my journalism classes, I just, I said, take your book back, you know, and save all this money and we'll, we'll find out what this is all about in a different way that Cal Poly even had planned. Yeah. So you gave him a real experience. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we had interns up the wazoo for a while and, uh, and that turned out to be great because they got the experience and, uh. It'd be interesting to know if any of them ever continued on into broadcasting. See, that's the thing, is that other than Stephen Tubbs, I haven't 
kept in contact with anybody who was here and then moved on. Right. I'm sure many of them have, and many of them have gone on to good things, but more power to them. Right. I never had that desire. My passion was always KVEC. This is my radio career. When you, I'm done you, here... You did teach at I'm done. Holly. Well, that one year. One year. Right. That's how I came to California. But, but did, did you have to face a bunch of kids that would look at you and, and are in journalism class? And no, I, I taught public speaking and critical thinking. I was in the speech department. Ah, well, that seems better, because then you wouldn't have to answer questions like, hey, what's a comma? You know, and I said, how'd you get into this school? No, I, I had, the, when I was teaching media classes, I always had to answer the question, well, what had you done in the media? And the answer was, I, I hadn't done anything. I was teaching media history. I was teaching media facts and constitutional law, e. all the theory and research and history. But I had never worked. But now, since then, I've worked for a newspaper. I've worked for a radio station. I had my own TV show for three weeks. Well, you're bit, but so me, I'm a lot happier like, now. It's like chronicling people who have stories to tell. Yeah, and everybody has a story to tell, and that to me is what's what's fascinating, you know, because you're putting a you could be, or often put in a situation that's not pleasant and that you have to deal with, and, you know. So did Kenny Loggins ever pay you no, back the money? He never paid me back my twenty dollars. You're at those. You're at the movie theater. Yeah. He was standing in line. Of course, he could, I don't know if you could use your credit card at that time. Probably he not. was an amazing guy. He really was. He helped start the Christmas Unity Telethon. Down at, you know, we all met at Michael Douglas's house. Well, let's hear the story. Come on. Well, that, that's it. Michael Douglas wasn't there. But Kenny wanted to really push to to umbrella all these Christmas... Yuletide services like Toys for Tots, Food Bank, mm. and all those kind of things, which is interesting uh, endeavor because uh, one of the guys I had to go up to this Marine who'd been a Toys for Tot giveaway person for like thirty years, and let me tell you something: to go up to a Marine and say, "Okay, soldier, you know this, you're no longer handing out Toys for Tots." It didn't go over so well. So you met at Michael Douglas's house, but Michael Douglas wasn't there. Right. Where was he? He was probably down at Pierre Lafon's in Montecito ordering a sandwich. Okay. But he said, hey, just come meet at my house. Well, Kenny's a good friend of his. And a funny part about Kenny is that he says, okay, um, the first one, the first Unity Telethon's coming up in a couple of weeks. I just want to let you know that I'll be there for the opening just to say hi, and then I'm going to disappear. And I looked at him, and I said, you're going to disappear. And he says, well, why is that? And I says, because you're in front of a, a large amount of people, and you have a microphone, and you're used to it. You aren't going to disappear. And sure enough, he stayed the whole night, and we had to give him his own mic. <laughs> but it was a success. I used to watch those things. Yeah. Oh, they put a lot of they put a lot of heart and soul into into the yes, a really good talent, as I recall. Great talent, and they all did it for nothing, which I I thought was was really nice. Not to say that there weren't some egos jockeying for the, who'd be on first, you know, who'd be the first celebrity on the show. But hey, that's part of the biz. Um, it was fun. Hmm. 
Uh, I understand you're in the process of writing a book. Yeah, some of the stories that I have and a couple that you heard here, um, I'll be writing about. When, when, when might we look forward to that, King Harris? Um, see, if you ask my wife, she'd say yesterday. Mm-hmm. You better. Um, if I asked uh, Charlotte Alexander, she'd say we're, we're on it. You know, so, but what would King Harris say? King Harris would say, uh, "Sure, why not?" Right. I love it. Well, no, you spent an hour telling some, spinning some great stories. They're just they're stories in perspective you know, that I have of all the stuff that I've seen and how it all kinds of put together and how you can make it work actually in your favor. You know, how, in- how you can actually help some other human being. I was interviewed yesterday, and the guy asked me the question, how, how has radio changed you? I had no answer for him. Well, you grow every time you talk to somebody. Maybe I can call him up and give him that answer. King Harris, always a pleasure. Thank you for being part of the show this week. Final thoughts, sir? Well, I think that you're in a... I hope you stick around because you're in a really good position in a, a, what a lot of people might think or call a polarizing time. And I think it's important to have at least one voice who's willing to, willing, which is a key word here, to be open, honest, and free. I learned from you. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Off we go. News, traffic, weather, more of Hometown Radio straight ahead. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.